This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Thanks for tuning in to the show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff that's going on in your life, what we believe as Christians or why we believe it. All you have to do is call us, and I'll do the best I can to answer. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585 if you're outside the local San Antonio area. You can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. That way you can just, one finger, hit the call now banner at the top of the screen, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. The rest is hands-free, and we'd love to have your calls and questions. Um, Before we get started, just a couple of notes. Paula will be live in studio with me tomorrow on the date day edition of the program. So, ladies, that's a day that we set aside for you. Uh, We didn't have a program last Thursday because of all the stuff that's going on. So uh, if you've got some questions or comments, she will be here and happy to take them. Um, We also tonight here at Calvary Chapel won't be having a midweek Bible study either tonight or Friday. Next week I'm going to start doing it again via live stream. Uh, But uh, we, we, because of the outbreak that we had of the COVID-19 virus, um, we shut down church activities except for the Sunday. So I'll be back online Sunday morning in First Timothy chapter 6. And then uh, next week, back to a regular schedule. I uh, can't wait till we can get the church back together again, so we'll have to see when that's going to be. Let me get to questions. Um, this one is from Nancy. She asks, why would God make people knowing they are going to hell? Um, Nancy, God didn't make people. God made Adam and God made Eve. The rest of us were made or are created by the process that God allowed to populate the earth. So basically what you're asking God to do is to abort people who aren't going to go to heaven. I mean, he knows everything. He knows who's going to say yes to him, who's going to say no to him. But, but you know, abortion is murder. God can't do that. That would be a contradiction of his character. And so I think we've got to understand that, that while God is sovereign and God is omnipotent, he knows everything, we also need not to blame him for the choices that people make. 
So when your child is born, Nancy, that child, boy or girl, is going to grow up. They're going to have all the evidence that those of us who believe have. We're going to have all the same opportunities to, to, to know Jesus, to accept Jesus, to have our sins forgiven. But the truth of the matter is, God really is pretty thrilled about people. Now, he doesn't like the choices we make, and he doesn't like um, the, the, the things that we do that are certainly in opposition to his will for our lives. But the truth is, God's crazy about people. And even people who are going to spend eternity in hell make significant contributions to our world. Um, many of them are really, really nice people, people that we could say, you know, they're, they're a friend of mine. Uh, that's why we need to tell them about Jesus. But the fact that God gives us a good world to live a good life in is a, a characteristic of, of his, his nature. He's good. He loves us. He gives everybody equal opportunities. The proverb says that the sun shines on the just and the unjust alike. And so we've got to understand that. You know, living is a pretty good thing. For most people, life is good. It's not easy, and certainly there are things about it that we don't like. But life is pretty good. In our country, we live in a nation that until very recently, we've had the freedom to believe what we want and do what we want. We've enjoyed boom economies. We've enjoyed wonderful times. We've enjoyed friendships. We've enjoyed um, the work that we do. And we need to understand that's just part and parcel of being a human. So, and see, God allows people to make their own choice and to live their own lives. What he doesn't allow them to do is escape the consequences of making the wrong choices. So, Nancy, I hope that makes sense to you. I think it, it's it's really important that we get past this uh, idea here of, well, if God is a God of love, he, he shouldn't let anything bad happen to people. That's simply not a biblical view of all, uh, at all. Here's a question from Trey. He says, what is God's view of work and retirement? Retirement is coming up for me, and I'm not sure I want to quit working. Um, Trey, you you know, I I really feel you here because um, I get asked occasionally when I'm going to retire. And I tell people I'm I'm still working on getting tired. But um, um, I think work is important. God's view of work, remember, that was pre-fall. Work wasn't a, a fruit of the of the curse. Um, work was always been work the earth, subdue the earth. All the animals given to you, work them, take uh, dominion over them. Um, work is always a part of God's plan. And because it's a part of God's plan, we need to view work as an opportunity for all of us to honor God in our vocations. I'm going to talk about this a little bit on Sunday in First Timothy chapter 6. The, the context there is masters and slaves um, uh, in the ancient world. But, but for us, obviously, the application is going to work. And we should be willing to work as unto the Lord. Um, whether we like our job or not, whether we're getting paid what we think we deserve or not, whether we're being treated fairly or not, we should do everything as unto the Lord because he's really our boss. He's the audience of one that we want to please. 
So God's view of work is that we work, we work hard, we do it for his glory, we do it to the best of our ability. And I don't see in our Bibles at all, Trey, I don't see any rationalization for retirement at all. Uh, I think personally that that uh, somebody that is approaching retirement as you are, um, I, I would think that uh, if you're financially set, um, you know you don't necessarily have to have everything, but you've got enough. Uh, you can quit working in, in in the world for money, but what an opportunity that is to turn your work, your your efforts and energy to working for Jesus to volunteering at your church you know I've got two men one who did it a long time ago he happens to be um, one of my original two elders he's been faithfully serving for all these years I've got another one who's just now coming to the same place where the Lord is leading them and when you talk to them whether it was all those years ago for the one or, or, or what this other man is going through now when you talk to them what they want to do and, and the, the, the prayers from their heart are Lord Help me to retire so that I can work full-time for you for free. I think that's God's view of retirement. doesn't mean we stop working. Work is hard. I've said that a couple of times. But when we're working for Jesus, then it's the most fruitful and abundant work that we can possibly imagine. So retirement is, I think, Trey, uh, an opportunity just to change directions in your life doesn't mean you stay home and, and sit around all day. What it means is that your work is for another kingdom. And I can't imagine anything being more fruitful for, fruitful than that. You know, uh, at my age, Trey, I'm 69 years old, and uh, at, at my age when people ask me about uh, retiring, I, I've actually not thought about doing it but I've tried to think, and Paul and I have tried to talk about, well, what would it be like if we were retired? I'm sure God would take care of us. We, he, he's never failed us. But what would we do? It's not like we wouldn't tell people about Jesus. not like I wouldn't teach Bible studies. It's not like I wouldn't do this radio show. But just to sort of kick back and do nothing... Just absolutely makes no sense to me at all. So, Trey, I hope that helps. Um, don't worry, just work for Jesus, and I promise you, uh, you'll be glad that you made the right choice. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Let's go to Jimmy calling on line one. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, how are you doing? Can you hear me? Yeah, Jimmy, I'm doing well. Thank you. Oh, uh, God healed you, right? Well, I'm not healed yet, but I feel pretty good. I was out running today, so I'm I'm good enough to do that still. Uh, well, my heart is been, Why, Jimmy? What's up? Martha is up and my daughter. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. They got they got positive tests, Jimmy. Yes, sir. 
Okay. And Jimmy, these are hard things, but, but I want you to listen to me. This is important. Um, I just had two friends, uh, uh, husband and wife, that, that uh, I love with all of my heart, and they got their test results today, and they're positive as well. Two things that you need to know. God's grace is sufficient. And your prayer now is, is okay, Lord, use this to draw them closer to you. Protect them, Lord, but use this to draw them closer to you. And, and let them learn about God's sufficiency. Gives you a chance to be the servant in your home. Gives you the chance to, to, to continually bring them up before the Lord's throne in prayer. And I want to tell people about this. You know, we, we've had enough people here at Calvary Chapel now who's tested positive, and Paul and I have gone through it. We have about three more days, I think, before um, we're safely out of the quarantine period. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is um, it hasn't been bad at all for us. Now, I don't mean to sound flippant because I know there are people who are really struggling um, but for us personally, this hasn't been um, as bad as some really bad colds that we've had or or um, other bugs, flu bugs that we've had. Uh, we've never stopped exercising through the whole thing. And it's allowed me to spend more time alone with Jesus. It's also allowed me and Paula, because we pop positive together, uh, it allowed us to um, to spend more time together. Um, we develop new routines, and we're uh, able to pray together. We're able to read together. And, um, you know, it's just one of those things where we've got to believe the Lord's promises. We've got to believe the Lord's promises. Jimmy, not this Wednesday, but not tonight, but next Wednesday I'm going to be teaching in Genesis chapter 15. And if you and your family can listen to that study together, I think it would really, really be a comfort to you. And for anybody in the audience who's tested positive and they're a little afraid of this, God says to Abraham, Do not be afraid, for I am your shield and your very great reward. And sometimes if the people will let him, in a time like this, God will use this weakness to draw us closer into a more dependent relationship, dependent upon him relationship. And when the 14 days is over, um, God will have done something. Again, if we let him, not everybody is going to be touched by the Lord because they don't want to be, but, but if we'll let him, God will do something. And I think for those of, of you, and I, I, for, for me, and I, I don't want to minimize, uh, or minimize rather, Jimmy, your pain, uh, but for me and for Paula, that we both were positive at the same time was help because we didn't have to be apart, and you're going to have to be. But this is a time when you can really devote yourself to the Word. You can really devote yourself to prayer. Um, we will be praying for your family, Jimmy. We'll be praying for you. Um, but but honestly, what I've found through this is that God's grace is sufficient. His presence is fulfilling, um, and we're we're we've done fine. And I'm sure that Martha and your child will also. Jimmy, I'll be praying for you. Keep us posted how they're doing. Okay. Yes, sir. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless you. God bless you. Uh huh. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. You know, I I hope 
I, I know when we're dealing with our health, people are really fearful. But this is a time where every Christian, and remember my audience is almost exclusively Christians, this is a time where we get to demonstrate that our faith is genuine. Peter says trials like this are more precious than gold. And this is a time that we're able to prove that our faith is genuine. We don't freak out, or at least we shouldn't freak out like other people. So if you're one of those who are constantly fearful, then get alone with the Lord. Open your Bible and, and really deal with Him. Ask Him, why don't I believe your promises, Lord? And I think the other side of this coin, and this is for Jimmy and for everybody else, I think the other side of this coin is that, that we have this sense that um, God owes us an escape from these kind of troubles. Well, well, Lord, I'm faithful, I'm serving you, so these things shouldn't happen to me. But these are opportunities for our faith to come to the forefront. So Christians, most of you, don't be afraid. Don't worry. People say, well, I'm going to worry and I am afraid. But, but you see, Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And this is an opportunity for us to find out exactly where our faith in Christ was. Let me come back to this in a minute. Let's go to John calling from San Antonio on line one. John, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Can you hear me? Hello? John, I can hear you. I can hear you fine. Okay, great. Uh, I've got a question, one that's uh, kind of been in my mind for quite some time. Um, I've been watching a lot of History Channel stuff and all that. Anyway, they talk about Hitler and all these people. And I always thought about them, like, like say, Hitler, when he was going to lose, that he, a normal, I think, a normal person would say, you know what, I'm going to lose, let me give up, why any more mm-hmm. people should die. So then that translated into Satan, and I think, and I wanted to ask a question, is he mentally ill? And the reason I say that is because, I'm just reaching down to get something to tell. Is he mentally ill? Because from what I've uh, heard, he knows the Bible. Is that correct? You mean uh, you mean Hitler? No, uh, Satan. Now we're back to Satan. That was just how I got from Hitler to Satan. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay, I see. Yeah. Yes. Okay, since Satan knows the Bible, um, he knows the end, so he knows he's going to lose. So why not give up? I, I don't get it. Is he just trying at this point to take as many people with him, or does he think he still has a shot? And that's why I say yeah. he's mentally ill, because to me, it, I, if I'm going to lose a game or whatever, if the score's 50 to nothing, okay, in the fourth quarter, <laughs> I think, I'm not going to win. Okay, well, the team's not going to win. Uh, let's call it off. And so if Satan knows the Bible and he knows the end of what's going to happen to him and what's going to happen, why keep going? I, I, I don't get it. Is he mentally ill? Yeah. Does he still think he has a chance? And if he is mentally ill, uh, like, say, when he decided to rebel, um, where did the mental illness come from? In other words, like, it, it would be like uh, me going to fight Mike Tyson, right? <laughs> he, maybe he's my boss, and I'm going to say I'm going to go beat him up because I want to take this position. Well, there's no chance I could ever do that. Didn't Satan think and say, okay, God even created me. 
I don't have a chance. So anyway, I'll let you, I'll, uh, what, what do you think? I, I don't know. It's been bugging me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, John. I'm laughing because I think about these kind of things as well. It's just part of the way my brain works. Let, let me say first, um, men like Hitler, Nebuchadnezzar, and and others throughout, um, you know, um, um, Stalin and Lenin and and um, Chiang Kai-shek and, and and I could go on and on and on. Um, um, whenever you see these these men who have murdered um, millions, thousands of people. It's always the devil. I'll say that unequivocally. It's always the devil. Now, the world will say, no, they're crazy or they're mentally insane. Um, um, but, but the answer is, it's always the devil whose job uh, is to, to rob, to kill, to, to destroy. So I think that's important to remember. Now, here's the best theology that I can give you about Satan and, and why he thinks he still has a chance. Sin is insane. Now, that doesn't mean he is mentally ill. He is the most brilliant creation, along with Michael the archangel, of, of everything God did until God made mankind. And then he, they made the choice. Now, Satan knows that he doesn't have another opportunity to choose. He knows he's been cast out of, of heaven. Um, and the answer to your question, Revelation twelve twelve says, because the devil has gone down to you, he is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. So what he's doing, John, he's doing everything that he can to take, as you said a moment ago, as many people with him. He wants to destroy any possibility of salvation. He tries upon Christians to destroy. He knows he's lost their soul, but he wants to make sure that they're not producing any fruit for the kingdom of God. So he does everything he can to, 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 to minimize the impact they could have. Um, but for unbelievers, he just wants to take everybody with him. He's angry. He's furious. And sin is insane. And that he thinks he has a shot shows you just how insane it is. Now, again, that's not mental illness as we understand mental illness. It's just that while he twists the word, and manipulates it. Well, most of us, I think, have met somebody who's convinced that the most insane things. Talk to somebody who's a conspiracy theorist, uh, a flat earther, and and we we listen to them, and they just we shake our heads, and we understand why don't you get that this is insane? Well, Satan's like that, and he still has enormous power, not unlimited power. It's limited by God, but he has enormous power. And he likes exercising it. And like we would say, there are times when things feel good to our flesh. Well, um, in a supernatural way, he's nothing but flesh. He is nothing but evil. And evil tends to delight him. It's sort of like a drug that, that, that anesthetizes him from the pain of having to deal with his future. But he hates God. He hates God's people. And he's going to do everything that he can to destroy. And that's why things are the way they are, John. And that's why Satan's going to keep trying. Um, you and I would would reasonably assume that, well, if he knows the Bible, he knows the end. You know, we always have those things like, well, we've read the end. We know how it turns out. Well, so is he. But he does everything he can to change the end. That's how insane sin is. You know, I think about Genesis chapter 6 when when he so polluted the world with an ungodly line that it would have been impossible 
Had God not reserved Noah and his family, it would have been impossible for Jesus to come. That was the closest he ever came. I think at the time in the book of Esther, when um, Haman manipulated the king into issuing a decree that would have destroyed all Jews. He's never, ever content. It's, it's why he still attacks Israel and why the world is so anti-Semitic. He, the, the world that we live in hates Israel. Why? Because Satan hates Israel. And I think there's this irrational hope that he can make things turn out differently. That's how ego-driven, how prideful he is. But the truth is, John, sin is just plain insane. And there's no reasonable or logical way to explain it. So I think what we've got to do is stop thinking reasonably or logically when it comes to the forces of evil in this world. Uh, Truth is, we've just got to deal with whatever... That is, we have been listening to the world or listen to the word of God. John, thank you for the question. And again, I wasn't laughing at you; I was laughing with you, because I think just like you do sometimes. Oh, there's the first half of the program. I didn't realize that we were that close. We've got 30 minutes left on the Wednesday edition of the Word to Stand Up for Life. Three four zero ninety five eighty five or toll free eight seven seven six three zero. KSLR. It's the word to stand up for life. We'll be back in two minutes. If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to Pastor Ron KSLR at gmail.com. That's Pastor Ron KSLR at gmail.com. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our program. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's an interesting question from Melanie. Pastor Ron, if forgiveness is free and guaranteed... Why should there be consequences from our sins once we've been forgiven? Melanie, your hypothesis is correct. Forgiveness is free. costs nothing. All we have to do is ask. Once we receive it, and, and we do that by asking Jesus into our heart, then um, our forgiveness is guaranteed. Um, we, we don't have to worry about it or doubt uh, at all. The problem, though, is that because of the sins that are committed, there are always consequences that have to follow. I mean, there's no way that Adam and Eve, as brilliant as they were, and I, in our study in Genesis, I, I surmise that they were the most brilliant people in an unfallen state that, that, that have ever walked the face of the earth. As brilliant as they were, think about the consequences from their poor choices. If God said, eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you will surely die. And if they didn't die, um, if there was no consequence, then they, they would see no need to be obedient to the Lord. So here's what you have to understand, Melanie. That if you do something, 
And there are consequences. God will use those consequences. He doesn't just wipe out. I mean, your sin is wiped out, but the but the the, the effects or the consequences of your sin can't be wiped out because, like Adam and Eve, I just explained, if if there were no consequences, we'd keep sinning. That's just our sin nature. And what we've got to understand is that um, those consequences are important for us. Now, God walks through us or with us through the consequences. He doesn't leave us alone. We don't have to deal with anything on our own. But believe me, if there were no consequences, then we'd keep sinning. Paul calls that trampling on the grace of God. That's why the consequences, Melanie, are so important. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to... Um, line one, Jeff from San Antonio. Jeff, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I, I feel like I owe you an apology. For what? Uh, well, um, you know, I knew you guys were out on Thursday and Friday. And, you know, of course, that always stumps me because I, you know, you usually say, hey, we've got a special event tomorrow and blah, blah, blah. And then mm-hmm. on Monday, I didn't get to tune in the first half of the show. So when I talked to you, I, you know, I wasn't aware that you guys had tested positive. And then, you know, I didn't pick up on that until Cindy's call yesterday. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, no. Oh, so I, so no, I, I no just want you to know, Veronica necessary. and I are praying for you morning and Thank evening. You. And I'm just so grateful that, you know, how you can use us as a testimony. And, and uh, anyway, so I apologize for, for, for not, you know. It's not acknowledging that. Um, yeah, that's okay. No apology necessary. I know your heart. And, you know, I, I was sharing with Paula today. I, I feel almost guilty um, because um, uh, we really haven't had um, significant symptoms at all. And, and we've been doing what we do, you know, exercising and doing all the other things. And I think part of that is, is uh, at least my doctor, Dr. Peter, says that... Um, if we can stay active and keep exercising, then it will minimize the symptoms. And we've been out there running, and I've been running. Paula's been doing other exercises at home. Uh, but but we're doing fine. We covet your prayers. And I would ask that you would also pray, keep uh, the people in our church in prayer as well. Um, because there's there's some people who are still getting news. You know, now as this thing is spreading, more and more people are going to get it. And the truth is, everybody's going to get this. It's at some point or another, nobody is going to be immune yep. from it. And um, and we need to be ready for it so that we don't let fear overwhelm us when it happens. What's on your heart today, Jeff? Uh, well, um, I wanted to share some with you and wanted you to, you know, I'd love you to, to uh, comment on it, but to piggyback on these comments. On Tuesday morning, I've been able to be part of a, uh, an online Bible study with Dr. John Perkins, who is, um, I imagine you've heard of him, but he's from from Mississippi. His uh, ministry is Reconcilers Fellowship, and he's one of the last living civil rights movement people that, that marched and worked next to Dr. Martin Luther King. He's 90 years old, and he has these, you know, these, I guess you can call them heavy hitters, on these studies on Tuesday morning at 8 o'clock on Zoom. Last week it was uh, Rick Warren with him, but yesterday was our friend Dr. Tony Evans. And mm. he says that, you know, Dr. Evans says that, that we're really in a three-layer pandemic right now. 
he says the first layer is obviously health. And the second layer, he would say, is, you know, the, the racial injustice pandemic. Uh, and the third layer of the foundational layer is the spiritual pandemic that we're in. Mm-hmm. And he, he used Second Chronicles 15. Um, in, in verse 3, he started at verse 3 and then kind of drilled his way down. And I just thought it was brilliant. And I wanted to share that with you because I, I, I haven't, you know, I wanted to run to, to, to your commentary on it as well, too. But verse 3 says that for a long season, Israel had been without a true God and without a teaching priest and without law. And he says, you know, here right, right away you can see how Israel moved into idolatry. And then uh, when they talk about not having a teaching priest, well, he says there's such a such a a great lack of relevant preaching in our society now, and that people preachers are still using a variety of books instead of one book. You know, they're they're not preaching doctrine. You know, they're 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 adding their own things, and, and they're not speaking to the situation. And he says the church has just become so watered down and so helpless that we're, we're in a time that uh, of what he calls divine disruption, that God is allowing this to happen to bring his church back to him. And, and he says, look, God is not going to bypass the church house and go right to the White House, you know? <laughs> um, and I just, you know, he just has a way of expressing things. I just, but I want you to take a look at that Second Chronicles 15 and make comments on it for me. And uh, we love you, and uh, I'm not going to miss any more, any more important announcements. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. God bless you, man. Okay. You, you know, um, uh, I'll hang up. Okay, bye bye. You know the, uh, the 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 Second Chronicles passage. Now, this is just me speaking. Uh, I think it's especially important because the king, King Asa, was a good king. And um, um, in, in in the the opening of this chapter, um, a prophet goes to the king, King Asa, and here's the word of the Lord. He said, listen to me, Asa, and all of Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. And then instantly, the next passage says, for a long time, Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach and without the law. Now, um, Israel, the northern kingdoms, uh, is what is in view here. Um, and the only reason that that God was with Judah was because of Asa. Asa was a good king. Now, he messed up some, like we all do. But he was a good king. And I think this is the one thing that we really need to understand from passages like this, that um, when the word, the, the prophet of God said, the Lord is with you when you are with him, I think we forget that. We just expect, well, the Bible says he'll never leave me or forsake me. But you see, we've got to be with him. And I think we miss that part. You know, we cling to the he'll never leave me or forsake me, but we've got to be with him if we expect him to be with us. If we seek him, then we'll find him. But if we do our own thing, then he's going to forsake us. And that's what happened to Israel, the northern kingdoms. Um, um, when they're walking away from God, when, they're, when they, they're, they're not paying attention to the law, the word of God, um, that's what happens. We do our own thing. 
I think of the book of Judges. Um, it's, it's a book that's characterized by the statement, men did what seemed right to them. Well, Jeff, we live now in a time when man is doing what seemed right to him. There's no right, there's no wrong, there's nothing objective. You know, today I got a tweet. I wasn't going to talk about this, but I'm going to talk about it. Um, I, I don't do Twitter. I don't know how to do it. So a, a dear friend in the church sent me a link so that I, I could listen to it. And uh, Chris Cuomo on CNN um, said either last night or today, I don't know when it was, but it was it was a new tweet. He said that the only way we're going to get through this is to depend on humanity. We're all in this together kind of thing. And it was, it was less than a minute. So um, um, I was so stunned with what I heard. And he said, don't look for help from above. And he pointed to heaven. Nobody's going to help you from above. The help is going to come from within you. It's going to come from within us, within humanity. Now, we wonder why the world is in the mess that we're in. He said that unashamedly. And you know what? I haven't yet seen any outcry at all. CNN ought to fire him, but they won't, of course. But you see, that's what happens. For a long time, Israel was without the true God. Well, I'm going to change that, and I'm not changing the word of God, but for a long time, the United States of America has been without the true God. And while we've got faithful teachers and we've got faithful ministers, um, the world that we live in is trying to stifle our voices. Believe me, uh, I didn't think this would happen in my lifetime should the Lord tarry. I think it's going to happen in the next year. It is going to be illegal to say some of the things that we say when we're teaching the Bible. Just reading the Bible. So, um, you know, God always has a good king, and Asa was a good king. Um, But here's the word, and it's a word to San Antonio, Texas. The Lord is with you when you're with him. He has no obligation to be with us when we're not with him. When we're walking away from him, then then we're on our own. And I think, Jeff, that that's... Uh, the the real value from that passage of scripture. Thank you for the call. Again, no apologies ever necessary because I know your heart. Let's go to Scott calling from Shirts on line one. Scott, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Good afternoon, Pastor Ron. Hi, Scott. I just wanted you to know that uh, I've been praying for you and Paula. Um, Hope you get a speedy recovery from this COVID issue. Thank you, Scott. I I think we're fine. Um, We're Good, good. Uh, th- this week, uh, I, I don't watch all the media and everything, but at work they're always talking about it, and they were talking about that couple. I'm sure you're probably aware of it, the couple that were protecting their property or whatever in St. Louis. Yeah. And uh, But I happened to be studying First um, Peter, and I'm up through the fir- fourth chapter right now. And, of course, and here's, here's the, kind of my question, and, you know, where is the line where we actually um, protect ourselves or, you know, I, I don't believe in protecting property with deadly force. I don't, I don't think that's necessary. But um, and, and myself, if it was just me. I don't think it would be uh, an issue. But since I've got a wife and a family, 
Um, and, of course, now we're going into where we're probably going to see a lot more um, persecution, more than just the verbal calling names, what have you. I mean, it's going to be, it, it, it looks like physical altercations, things like that. Um, I guess what, what I'm questioning is, as I'm reading through First Peter, is these people went to the, you know, to death, you know, um, and I don't, I, you know, of course, it doesn't fill us in the details, uh, you know, if they wrestled or fought back or if they just willingly took it. But if you could give, give kind of a biblical perspective of, you know, I know we need to just be with Jesus. I, I absolutely agree with that. But just I'm just mm-hmm. really trying to process what would I do in that situation? Um, the one in St. Louis, I it, to me, it looked like they were more interested in protecting their property, but but they also were saying that I guess their lives, you know, they were threatening, you know, words being said too. But um, yep. just if you can give kind of a biblical perspective on how we I should, can, I can, you know, where our I can do that, think. Scott. Okay, I can do that. Thank you very, very much. These are things that Christians struggle with, but but nowhere are we commanded to be pacifists. We have an obligation to protect our family. I personally think that we have every right, God-given right, to protect our property. Um, We're dealing with mob rule. Um, You may have noticed from the news today that, that even in Seattle, they saw how bad things were getting in their police free autonomous zone that they sent police in to retake control of that i think that's an obligation that government has to protect the citizens all of the citizens and um, um, that means we need to be protected from mob rule i saw those pictures and it looked bad as it's an older couple and he didn't look very menacing but i can promise you uh, whether he was a believer or not a believer, I don't know. I have no idea. But the last thing he wanted to do was open fire on people. But he also understood that there was a wife standing there with him that he needed to protect. And his property that he invested his life in, the property that supports him through his senior years, was in danger, and he had an obligation to protect it. So, Scott, I think for sure we have the obligation to do it. We don't want to respond with violence, but I think if if the situation merits it, uh, I think it is perfectly acceptable when we are defending our lives. I don't know, Scott, if you have been paying attention, but last Friday, um, um, the protesters... Um, I think a hundred or so of them, maybe a few less than a hundred, um, um, went to one of our city councilmen's neighborhoods, ripped the security gate off of a gated community, and entered in and then started screaming, making threats. Um, um, we're going to kill you. We're going to kill your kids unless you resign. Um, and, and, of course, the police were called in, and, and, and the police did, didn't do anything to them. They didn't arrest anybody. Um, but, but, again, this whole idea of lawlessness, and when you get a mob mentality, they're talking about um, uh, we're going to eat Christians, we're going we're, we're gonna to make sure that you um, um, resign, or we're going to keep coming back, uh, we're going to destroy you, we're going to do all those things. Those are credible threats. And in a mob mentality... Those things happen. That's when we give the enemy, Satan, the opportunity to take over. And believe me, he's going to do it. 
So, Scott, I think we've got to protect our families. We've got to protect our property. I think if we don't do that, um, then then we are complicit with the evil of mob rule, and that's where we are now. Uh, that's the world that we live in, and when we can't count on the city mayors, city councilmen, or the policemen, uh, or women to come in and protect us, uh, I think we finally find ourselves in a position where we are well within our God-given rights to fight back. Now, let me say one other thing about this, Scott, so that everybody in the audience can understand me. I am not a gun guy. I do not, nor have I ever owned a gun. I had a gun given to me once. I fired it once. It was so loud, I gave it away. I'm not a gun person. Um, I'm not a brave person in the sense that I'm looking for a fight and, you know, if you cross this line, I'm going to knock your block off or something. I'm not that kind of a person. But there is no end to the steps I would take to defend my home if Paula was in it or if I had children in it as our city councilman did. And um, God would be fine with that. So I think that's something that we've really got to understand. Um, That's how important it is. Thank you, Scott. Great, great question. I know it's something that we're all dealing with. 340-9585, Three four zero ninety five eighty five. David asks a question, Pastor Ron, why does it seem some people have so much larger faith than others? Um, David, faith, Ephesians 2 says, is a gift from God. Um, and God gives us that gift of faith. And while it might seem like somebody has much greater faith than someone else, the truth is that the person who... Um, to you looks like they have greater faith is just somebody who's let God um, move in their lives let, let, some, let somebody who's let God show off for them you know I, I characterize it like this all the time when we meet God he's a stranger we know he saved us we're grateful and all that but he's a stranger we don't really know him and so if we start walking with God we start talking to him we start listening to him in his word we, we learn uh, who he is and the more we learn about him, the more we're going to trust him. Now, um, you know, our steps of faith here at Calvary Chapel over the years, David, with free school, <laughs> this radio program, and a free doctor's office, and all the other things that we do for free. Um, you know, God didn't ask us at the beginning. He didn't ask us to take these huge steps of faith that seemed impossible. But he kept asking us to take little tiny steps of faith. And we take a little step of faith, God would meet us. And we'd see his hand move, and we'd be excited. Oh, God, look what you're doing. And then he'd ask us to take another step of faith. And while we'd still be afraid, we'd take that step of faith. He'd meet us. And then eventually you get to the place where he's proven himself so many times that you dare not say anything but yes to him because you know you're going to miss out on something wonderful if you do. And pretty soon it just becomes a situation where you realize, look, Lord, you're in charge. You tell me what to do. I'm a servant. I have to do it. It doesn't mean I'm not afraid when I do it. I think people think that having faith is not being afraid. I say all the time that faith is the antidote to fear. I am afraid all the time. And yet I've seen God's hand move. He's he's proven so many times that I dare not quench what he wants to do because I know that if he doesn't use me, if I say no, then he's going to use somebody else and I'm going to be upset about that because I missed out. 
So, David, I think, and I, this is a phrase I use all the time here at Calvary Chapel, exercise your faith. Step outside of your comfort zone. Let the power of God rest upon you and come from within you. And then other people will be looking at you like, why does David have such great faith when my faith seems to be so weak? It's just a matter of exercising your faith. It's like going to a gym and working out your muscles. You know, you start out with little spindly arms. If you work out diligently, those arms get bigger, not all at once, but your arms get bigger, your muscles grow. And when your muscles grow, you're stronger. Well, faith is a muscle that needs to be exercised spiritually every single day. And I think we, we, we initiate that process, David, by getting up in the morning and saying, okay, Lord, what about me and what about today? And then we simply obey whatever it is he tells us to do. We simply obey. On those days when God's quiet, he doesn't give any specific directions, which, by the way, will be most days. Well, those are the days when you do what you know you're supposed to do, what you've been doing all along. You're faithful. You prove that you're committed to being obedient. And I'll say this, the obedient man or the obedient woman who exercises his or her faith will live for that moment when God says, okay, take the next step. Okay, Lord, I'm going to do it. I'm scared, but I'm going to do it. And when that happens, David, again, you'll be one that people look at and say, wow, his faith is so strong. So that's important. Faith must be exercised. So I hope that answers your question, David. I promise you, you want to do that. We're almost done for the day. We've got a prayer request from Thomas. It just came in from our email inbox. It said, Pastor On, I'm in need of prayer. I'm experiencing peripheral vertigo, which is very bad in my line of work. He's a gasoline delivery driver. Uh, if this ailment is going to be part of my future life, I'm asking Jesus to open another door as this one closes so that I will be able to provide for my family. Thomas, I will be praying for you. Um, I have experienced one bout of vertigo in my life. And it is terrifying, unsettling, and uh, I will be praying from a very, very compassionate heart. Here's what I can promise you, Thomas, that uh, if this vertigo is going to be a part of your future life, um, God will provide another door. Because what he wants you to do is provide for your family, and you're doing it so faithfully. God bless you, and, and just this is an area where even in this trial... You can trust the Lord. Same principle for what I said earlier about uh, the COVID-19, this virus that people have, or freaking out about it. Just be with Jesus, and you're going to see his grace. It's more than adequate. More than adequate. Thank you, Thomas. We'll be praying. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Got a great show for you tomorrow. That means Paula will be live in studio on the date day edition of the program. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll see you then. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Well,